0: get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the
1: voice of hockey. Yes, yes, yes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. Andy McNamara with you. hope everybody's doing great out there on Twitter at AndyMC81, at TSN Analytics. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes, of course, so you don't miss any of the episode or you can go back and check... Past episodes as well as on the TSN 1050.ca show page. We tweeted out and also on Instagram at Andy MC Sports. We got Travis Yost coming up in a minute. We'll talk Leafs with James Merle. We'll talk some fantasy. We'll get to a whole bunch of things. But leading off, as he always does, courtesy of the Domino's Pizza Delivery Line, where you can get a large four-topping pizza for just twelve ninety-nine, And try some of the side dishes, folks. I'm not fooling around here when I tell you. The boneless chicken, the pasta, phenomenal. The d- dessert? Marble cookie brownie, the lava cake that has the, the, the chocolate stuff come out when you poke it. it, it's great. Try it all out. Dominoes.ca. That's Dominoes.ca. Let's bring in our guy, Mr. Travis Yost. Travis, as always, we begin with one of your latest works on TSN.ca. And this week you detailed why the San Jose Sharks defensive core has boosted the team as of late. So you, you mentioned the other two teams, the Sharks are battling for the top spot in the Western Conference, Flames and Jets. How would you power rank those three teams for the rest of the year?
0: Ah, uh, boy, I, I, I think you have to put San Jose number one. And I know people in Winnipeg, and Calgary might bristle at that, and I, I can see it. It's pretty close, but here, here's the situation with with San Jose. They are legitimately in a race for first in the Western Conference, despite having the easily the worst goaltending at five on five this year, and the third worst goaltending across all situations all year. And the point I make is this: Do you realize how good you have to be to offset? goaltending that bad I mean when we're talking about (laughs) bottom one bottom two goaltending in the league that's almost always collinear with a team that doesn't even make the playoffs Um, and and the reason why is this like regardless of how you rate Martin Jones and and really more generally the San Jose Sharks goaltending they just play as much in the offensive zone as any team in the league that's not named Carolina and the difference between them and Carolina is they have a lot of high-end individual shooting talent that can actually turn all of those shots and scoring chances into goals. Um, the, the the piece this week really focused on uh, what we had talked about all summer, and you know even a little bit in October when things didn't seem right at the time. Having Eric Carlson and Brent Burns on two different pairings and effectively playing seventy percent of even strength minutes away from each other, but one of the two on the ice at all times that that is almost impossible to defeat over a over a longer sample of games. And what we have seen over the course of the season is when Eric Carlson's on the ice, San Jose is getting like 55% of actual goals. And once you adjust for goaltending quality, it's actually closer to 60% of expected goals. Um, Brent Birds is almost at that level. And those are the types of numbers. When you're getting 55%, 60% of anything, shots, scoring chances, goals, Those are the, you know, the elitist of elite. (laughs) That is that is bad phraseology, but that's that's the best way I can describe it. It's it's the type of stuff that turns um, roster building into Stanley Cups. And uh, you know, San Jose is in an interesting spot here because a lot of the cap space and assets that they did have in situ, um, it's kind of come full circle to the point where you know they're in a spot now where they're going to have to make a decision on Eric Carlson at some point. They're going to have to spend a little bit more of the money and the cap has shrunk a little bit for them. Um, but I, I got to be honest, like if, if you're grading them where they stand right now relative to the west, rest of the west, uh, I, I think that they are the most talented team of all. Uh, the trick though is exactly what we always talk about, which is they're going to have. In, in all likelihood, the hardest first round matchup of any team, which is infuriating, uh, as it is yeah, every year. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's becoming almost, I wouldn't say mathematical certainty, but it certainly seems very probable that they're going to draw Vegas in the first round. And I, I mean, that's two of the four, two of the five at worst, best teams in the West playing head to head, uh, in the first round. So, you know, you've got, you've got a very real, you got an interesting dynamic there. Uh, but you know this is what this is what San Jose and Doug Wilson and, and Peter DeBoer had had envisioned for you know since onset with this roster and contending for a Stanley Cup this year and in the last two months I think they've been as good as any team not named Tampa Bay or Calgary.
1: In conversation with Travis Yost from TSN.ca on Twitter at Travis Yost. This is a fun one here, Travis. On Twitter, you answered an interesting question. It was from Big Cat of Barstool Sports asked the question: If you had to bet your life on one sports team never winning a title? ever which would it be you answered the Knicks and or the bills in either order first of all let's address that cuz that's awesome <laughs> and i agree. Oh, well that
0: that really sucks for me personally uh, that's that's why i'm i, I am oh, a I lifelong you. frustrated sports fan between those two but um you know we were we were talking about uh, a little bit uh, briefly about what what you know if you had a final four what other two teams would be in that mix with the bills and the Knicks, and do you do you put the Edmonton Oilers in that discussion? I I, I mean, it, it's hard to put a team like that with the best player in the sport in that discussion. But the mismanagement of that roster over and over and over again is—it's Nixian, it's Brownsian. Sorry, Andy, yeah, about yeah, that. But yeah. I got it, Baker it, now. It's, I'm it's, good. When, <laughs> when you have organizational futility that repeats itself for. Anything more than three years, let alone a decade plus. Um, I, I'm, I'm almost at the point where I'm like, I need to see the results before I start betting on these teams anymore in the future. And, I, like, if you're looking at a, at a final four, I, I think Cleveland's out of that mix, by yeah. the way. But I, I think Edmonton, Buffalo, the Knicks, and I'm certainly, I, I will offer it up to the listeners. What fourth team would you put in that mix? But I, I, I think I would put Edmonton, the mix, and the Bills as the three, and I, I need a fourth there.
1: I like that. You know what? Tweet us at Travis Yost at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. Let us know what your all four or the fourth team. What about the Sens? Like they just seem to have that collective mismanagement of ownership to disfun. Like that just seems like a roller coaster well, mess that you can't climb out
0: of. Well, Andy, I don't. Yeah, that's an interesting candidate too there, um, because I just you know on. On Wednesday, a press release came out that ownership is saying that they are going to be prepared to spend close to the salary cap starting in the year of 2021. And I am not paraphrasing. That is a real quote. Um, That's three seasons away uh, that ownership is basically saying we're not going to spend to the cap um, or even close to the cap until that year reaches us, and that would be the earliest point now i I think that dovetails a little bit with what they're trying to do, which is blow it up full blown rebuild, and I think to make I think it makes you know quite a bit of sense but uh, man if you, if you're talking about a team that's pumping on effectively three years of competitiveness because the amount of non you know serious spending teams that have won a Stanley Cup is approximately zero in the modern era. I think maybe you throw them in the mix too.
1: Yeah, uh, that that would be my fourth. But yeah, tweet us at TSN Analytics at Travis Yost. Let us know what your four teams that will never ever win a championship are. I like that, Uh Travis. Let's go to Austin Matthews here. Big contract, of course, and the the, the president setting deal. Do you think it is a president setting deal? I should say in any way, shape, or form. It seemed like McDavid taking an eight year deal was an absolute no brainer, and now we see this five year, eleven plus mil. A little bit shorter gives him a chance for another big contract down the road. Do you see this maybe setting a trend, or is it just, hey, this worked for the Maple Leafs and it worked for Austin Matthews?
0: Oh, this, I'm glad we brought this up because this cuts two ways. Number one, it, so from each perspective, let's start with the player. It is very, very rare in the NHL to see a player out of his ELC, a superstar player, not take the max, right? Right. So right. Jack Eichel, Vladimir Tarasenko, Connor McDavid, Aaron Eckblad, all of these guys, over and over and over, always chase the eight-year deal. They like the they like the length, they like the duration, and um and they like the security, right? That that's and that's been entrenched in NHL for basically since the last CBA was invoked. However, there is and people who are dual hockey basketball fans have recognized that the NBA players have been completely dis, superstar players have been completely disincentivized by the five year supermax because they know they can just keep betting on themselves year after year after year. And not only does it create them, create them the opportunity to earn a higher percent of the cap every year, um, it also forces the team to never make mistakes or risk losing a superstar player. Mm-hmm. And Matthews is interesting, right? Because I think he recognized that maybe the team couldn't financially swallow a mega eight year deal that with, with the type of cap that it would need to require. So he, I think what happened is I think he said, okay, we're going to walk it down to five years, but man, that puts a lot of pressure on Toronto to basically go into win now mode. Sure. And what I'm interested to see is do other superstar players follow in the same manner, basically saying to your team, I want to play with you. I love it here and I want a lot of money now, but I also want to create. You know, maybe job security, maybe security is less of a concern for me because I'm going to get paid regardless wherever it is unless I have a career ending injury. So I am comfortable betting on myself and I'm comfortable betting on you to build a contender around me. Certainly increases the stakes for all involved. Uh, but that's the player side. The other side that's interesting, I, I, you know, I've heard a lot of overtures about CBA peace and, and maybe there will be peace this time around. But I, I got to say, the the signing bonus stuff seems like it's going to come to a head, and it, it's going to be a sticking point because it is increasingly becoming big market versus small market. Yeah. If you look at signing bonus money on the books, some teams like Carolina, Carolina have less than $1 million in signing bonus money, basically in perpetuity forever. The Toronto Maple Leafs have $184 million <laughs> tied up in signing bonus money, and again, they're not the only team that's in that mix. You've got Boston, L.A., Tampa Bay. Basically, you're, you're high-earning, you know, very wealthy teams that are willing to flex their financial might and attract superstar players by way of signing bonus money that's not only up front but also basically guaranteed because it's buyout proof. It's creating – first off, it's brilliant from big market teams. But if I'm a small market team – I'm pointing it and saying it's a problem because if I'm Carolina and I'm, I'm picking on Carolina a little bit here, but it's true for any small, smaller market team. If I'm one of these teams and I'm looking at what Toronto can do, whether it's Matthews or Tavares before him or Marlowe before him, all of these players that got huge signing bonus contracts, how do I get that same type of player in free agency? Exactly. I just, I I don't have the financial wealth to do it. Um, And, and it's starting to create a bigger divide than I think the league recognized. So, I, again, I, I think this contract is fascinating from both the player and the team perspective, and I'm really curious to see here what happens because, again, you know, a lot of talk about, hey, maybe the CBA negotiation will be easier this time around. I'm hoping that's right, but I, I can't imagine it, it. the piece will not be realized until there is some resolution on the signing bonus
1: stuff. Great insight. That's going to be fascinating to follow. Travis, awesome as always, man. Thank you so much. Take care, Andy. That is Travis Yost from TSN.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost. After the break, Sean Tierney charting hockey and The Athletic. We'll well, We'll break down a whole bunch of stuff. Stay tuned. TSN Hockey Analytics next on TSN 1050 Toronto. If you're hungry, check out this great deal from Domino's unlimited two-topping medium pizzas for just $7.99 each. That's right, as many pizzas as you want with a minimum purchase of two pizzas. So stock up, dig in, and feed that hunger with unlimited two-topping medium pizzas. Perfect for the big game, a busy night with the family, or just because. Order online today at dominoes.ca and add on some great side dishes and dessert. That's dominoes.ca.
2: Get
0: the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey.
1: Welcome back to TSN Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. You can get the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. Subscribe and rate us. On iTunes on the TSN 1050.ca show page. And as you know, folks, we're delivered by Domino's. Go get a large four topping pizza for just $12.99. Perfect with this cold weather out, the winter. Go have it delivered, get it, carry it, whatever. All the great deals marbled cookie brown, cheesy bread as a side, boneless chicken pasta. All you need at Domino's.ca. That's Domino's.ca. Let's welcome in my next guest from Hockey Graphs, from The Athletic. It is Mr. Sean Tierney. Sean, big week in Toronto here, of course, at the Maple Leafs announcing Austin Matthews' five-year contract extension. Average salary, 11.6 mil. So as TSN Hockey Insider Bob McKenzie tweeted, the Leafs now have their top two centers in Matthews and Tavares locked down for the next six playoff runs, including this year. What did you make of the deal and the term that Matthews received from the Leafs?
2: I think everyone was... Um, maybe a little bit surprised that Matthews didn't seem to give in on either the term or the valuation. That's sort of kind of full pop for uh, you know, the value of the player at this point and not far off from sort of that McDavid number really in the end, and not so far off from what Tavares signed for either. And then the term didn't really buy up many of those UFA years. It got one year uh sort of purchased and it it walks uh, Matthew's kind of into a nice spot for himself. He'll be looking at another big raise in not that many years. So, you know, looking at the deal at first blush, I thought, you know, Matthews didn't give in on either respect, either the years uh, or the dollars. But I think some of the conversation going around about it is this idea that the game has gotten younger. People seem to realize that, you know, the young player um, is driving teams that peak ages are around 24 years old for forwards or defensemen. And so, you know, when players are in that position and you're a top-of-the-line player like Austin Matthews is, you know that you kind of have the leverage ultimately to say, you know, this is what I'm worth and I'm going to be paid. And and even William Nylander sort of taught us a lesson that players are willing to sit and say, you know, we'll be paid what we're worth or, or we're not going to play. So in the end, I think the Leafs, paid full pop, but they're paying full pop for, you know, a player that's definitely worth it. So in the end as a Leafs fan you've got to be happy that he's going to be in town.
1: Yeah, and you eliminate one less stress from your life if you're a Leafs fan with that. Now, Sean, I want to get into this. One of the great things you've created this season that we've had lots of fun messing around with is the Wins Above Replacement Lineup Creator Tool. And in this, you can organize lines in any formation you want, and your tool will spit out a war value for that specific line, and then the entire team as a whole. How much has a stat-like war grown amongst hockey circles?
2: (laughs) I think one of the things that's really helped this gain some traction is that the people that are out there creating war stats right now are doing a really good job of presenting the strengths and the weaknesses. So it's not trotted out within the stats community as this, you know, cure for everything that ails you or is that one number and this is the end of the conversation. Instead, places like Corsica where Manny Perry makes uh, his war stat or Evolving Wild, which is the one that I'm using for my lineup creator, uh, these creators are writing up good write-ups to explain how their data is created, and they're using it as, um, you know, a piece of the puzzle for evaluating players, saying, you know, you can get this one-number catch-all stat to help start the conversation, but this isn't the end of the conversation on the player. So I think these stats are catching on because they're being presented really fairly as a tool to be used in evaluation, but not the only one. And And I think when you understand the strengths and weaknesses of reducing players to one number – that helps you get away from some of the critiques, like, you know, you can't sum a player up with just a single number. Mm -hmm. When you know all the work that goes into getting to that valuation at the end, and you know that no one thinks that this is the only way to evaluate players, I think that helps the acceptance in the community. And then you can make things like a war lineup creator like I've done, and I don't think anyone gets into that and thinks this is the final answer. Instead, it's a great way to start a conversation, uh, you know, with some data behind it to make some
1: decisions. Yeah, and that's, I I think, the the whole analytics movement from day 1 the idea has been make it a part of the conversation as you said make it a piece of the puzzle to have intelligent hockey conversation so you don't see something like the the war value climbing to the same importance it does in let's say baseball where that is that is a huge stat
2: right and i think in in hockey circles there's still a lot of value in people that can talk about the game from having watched it. And they can talk about tendencies and they can talk about, uh, you know, the systems that a team is running or a system that a team should be running. And those things just kind of run parallel with this war stat. And you want to be able to talk about both. And so I don't know if war for hockey ever gets to that same level as baseball. And I'm not sure if that's the goal anyway. This is a tool that I think anyone who follows hockey is going to have to bring into their lexicon, something you need to know about in addition to the other things that are important, too, like keeping your eyes on the game and knowing what players are like when you're watching them with your own eyes, too.
1: In conversation with Sean Tierney on Twitter at Charting Hockey. He writes for Hockey Graphs, the Athletic Toronto, the Athletic Chicago. He's all over the place. And, and, and Sean, let's get to the trade deadline, because we're not even ten days into February and we've talked about it so much already. And there's been some big deals, of course, right? Like Jake Muzzin coming to Toronto. But another unique tool you've been tinkering with is an NHL trade machine. And in this, you submit your players for the proposed trade, and the result is something that tells you not only who won the trade, but more importantly, how many. More points that are projected to add to their season total because of the swap. This is really cool to me, dude. So, how do you get from point A to point B in this, and, and what factors contribute to the final result of the trade machine and the point total?
2: So I'm I'm kind of weaving together a few things to make this NHL trade machine and my idea actually came from seeing the uh the ESPN version they have for the NBA where, you know, you can go in into the players and you can evaluate the trades and up to their trade deadline, you know, things get really confusing and interesting and, and I thought we need something like that for hockey too. So you know, it's just sort of my first uh shot at it. I'm using again that evolving wild war data at the base for the players and like you said, you can choose Any players from the team that you want to drop in, you get that war value in their cap figure two from cap friendly. The parts where I've had to weave a couple things together are the AHL players. And we know some of these names will get thrown into deals as we get into the deadline and the value of draft picks, which I'm basing off of Michael Shuckers' great work on valuing those. So the idea is you can go in and you can say, you know, Tyler Ennis and maybe Michael Carcone and uh, a third-round pick for Wayne Simmons from the Flyers, and you pump out, you know, uh, sort of a, a guess or a pretty educated guess at who's won that deal and how many standings points, uh, in this case the Flyers, actually might come out ahead getting uh, rid of Wayne Simmons, who's got, you know, a lot of positives to his game but has been a negative in several facets, too. And so, like you said, you get a winner, you get uh standings points added, and and I'm hoping that if I can get this refined just a little bit more before we get into the deadline, this is something people can use as a sort of instant analysis, so one piece in either criticizing your team's trade or celebrating your team's trade, too. So a couple little features, and then it'll be out on my Twitter by the end of the week and something nice. people can uh go through my Twitter and access and, and use it for their own fun, too.
1: I love this type of thing, man. Like this is, I'm very excited for for this to uh, to come out. So, excellent, excellent job. We're we're pumped for it. That's at charting hockey. So make sure you're following Sean here uh, with that, and of course, reading his work on the athletic and at hockey graphs. Now, uh, Sean, also this week on Twitter, you ran an interesting poll. The premise of the poll is that an NHL GM never makes trades or signs UFA's and only acquires talent from within their organization and through the NHL draft. So, you ask people. How would this team fare? Would they be a basement team, a playoff bubble team, a team that wins a round or two, or a full-blown cup contender? The results favored the middle two options. So I want to ask, how would you have answered your own poll?
2: So I've got this theory, and it was sort of uh, one of those things where I I ponder this all the time. How often do GMs get themselves into all their own trouble? And, And the Peter Chiarelli firing in a way was kind of rattling through my mind as I thought of this. And the thinking is, a team that goes into the draft and just uses the picks that they have, we know from some research that's been done that you expect to get an NHL player, a 100-game NHL player, every fifth pick or so. Uh, and so, you know, every draft you come out with at least one player you can add to your roster. We also know that UFAs don't hit UFA age until they're 27 and that's kind of getting into the plateau and then end of their peak years. So, you know, teams make a lot of mistakes in UFA, and you don't have to go through many teams' rosters to see those long-term contracts that they probably regret. And so just sort of thinking about all this, uh, you know, what what should a team look like, and what could a really conservative team be expected to do? Uh, out of about uh, 4,500 votes or so, like you said, the results were even split between uh, people believing this would be a playoff bubble team or a team that could win around here or there. And I tend to agree with that. I think maybe the closest team that we've seen to this sort of conservative approach might be the Winnipeg Jets, a team that, for the most part, has kind of just tried to stick with the players that they've homegrown and tried not to get themselves into too many trades. And of course, they've got their own deals in there, too. And I think we've seen the success of a team that grows up together and doesn't make mistakes. And I think, uh, you know, it, it really highlights, in a way, what the job can be at the NHL level, which is. Avoid mistakes as much as anything else. And so, uh, for me, this kind of confirmed what I thought. I don't think you necessarily build a cup contender this way, but it's definitely not a basement team if you're avoiding mistakes and just growing your own players, uh, you know, just by keeping your nose out of all the mistakes that are out there. So, uh, the results were interesting, kind of what I was hoping for. I think this team would win a round or two, and, and maybe the Jets are that NHL comparable.
1: Well, and you mentioned the Jets, so let's finish on this point. Um, a lot of expectations coming into the year, and, They've been pretty average as of late. Uh, How high do you think the ceiling for the Jets compared to, let's say, a team like the Nashville Predators that's been busy on the trade front are going into this, uh, well, almost in the home stretch of the season, heading to the playoffs?
2: I've been sort of skeptical up and down on the Jets all season. For me, they're a team that really gives back about as much as they, they generate for themselves. Their expected goal differential is something that's been up and down, a little bit above average, a little bit below average. They're really in a trough right now, uh, sort of, uh, you know, one of the bottom maybe 10 teams in terms of their expected goal differential, which is a really key stat at a glance for evaluating a team. I worry about them. I think Connor Hellebuck has had a pretty average season. Uh, they've got Persuad there, who's been playing uh, really great, but I'm not sure that that's a name you want to run into the playoffs with leaning on too much. Their C differential is basically a wash. For me, they're a team that still has holes. I think they've got a, a great offense, but for whatever reason, they haven't been able to put it all together. And you mentioned Nashville, and I think that they're a team that's kind of moving in the other direction. They looked a little bit choppy in the beginning of the season, but they're really going right now. One of the better teams in expected goal differential, really sort of uh, distancing themselves in that way. Pecorine was playing way over his head in terms of goals saved above average, and that's kind of deflated a little bit as the season's gone on, which we would expect. But I think if I'm looking at these two teams, I don't know that I love the Cody McLeod ad today, Mm. Um, but I I think Brian Boyle maybe helps in their bottom six, and and they're a team that's definitely trending up as we're getting into the back half of the season. So for me, I'm much higher on Nashville as we go, and I'm worried about Winnipeg. I, I want a Canadian hope heading into the playoffs, but I'm not sure it's them
1: good stuff buddy thank you so much we'll be keeping an eye on your twitter at charting hockey thanks sean yeah, thanks andy there you go sean tierney from the athletic from charting hockey we will step aside talk some maple leafs on the other end with james myrtle editor-in-chief of the athletics stay tuned for that a lot more coming up on tsn hockey analytics here on tsn 1050
0: Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050,
1: the voice of hockey. Welcome back to TSN Hockey Analytics right here on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. Make sure you subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at TSN Analytics at Andy MC81 and also get the show on tsn1050.ca. Big news, of course, in Leafland with Austin Matthews rocking and rolling, signing that big extension. Let's go to the editor in chief of The Athletic, James Myrtle. Well, James, unlike William Nylander, there's no countdown to signing. There's no pressure for Austin Matthews as he and the Leafs agree to a five-year contract extension average of $11.6 million with plenty of time to spare. What was your initial reaction to the deal when it was announced and specifically the term of five years as opposed to the max eight-year deals that guys like Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel signed? Uh The five years didn't shock
3: me. I, you know, it makes some logical sense that it helps bring the cap hit down a little bit from what an eight-year deal would be. You know, I was more surprised that the cap hit was as high as it was. I mean, and you know, the argument from Matthew's camp was that he's such a, a special player and such a unique player being a centerman who scores 40-plus goals every year. Um you know, he's scoring at more than a fifty goal pace this year if you prorate out you know, minus for the injury. Um their argument was that he's so unique that you need to compare his percentage of the cap that he gets to players like Evgeny Malkin and, and other players that have gotten fifteen percent of the cap. Um, the contract he ended up signing for is is fourteen percent of next season's cap, so it's actually lower than, than a contract like someone like Malkin got, but it's higher than I thought it was going to be. It's you know it's a it's a record-setting contract for a five-year deal, and it's going to be fascinating to see here where uh, where Mitch Marner comes in next.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's the next big one. But on the the Matthews deal, James, how would you grade Kyle Dubas in the front office on the ability to sign? Because again, no drama for Matthews, so that's a check. But to give himself some of that that flexibility, because as you mentioned, there was the big cap hit going forward. How, how do you, how do you grade Dubas?
3: Um, that's a good question. I would say they get a pass. <laughs> you know, if I, if I had to give a letter grade, you know, maybe maybe a C okay. is what I would give for that. You know, I, I think that they, they could have gotten a better deal for Matthews if they would have signed him last summer. And that's really where the opportunity was missed. Um, when he came out of the gate and had 10 goals in his first six games, all of a sudden the price shot up and it never really went down. You know, the missing fourteen games with a minor injury it wasn't really a factor in in the discussions. And, but I think that the Leafs could have gotten Austin Matthews signed for an on an eight year deal, at a number that would have, you know, maybe potentially in the same kind of cap hit as what they ended up in, but they would have had him signed for eight years. Um, they just would have had to have that done last summer.
1: Right, right. In conversation with James Myrtle, editor in chief of the Athletic Toronto, on Twitter at Myrtle. So in the, the days following the announcement this week, obviously the focus has shifted. You mentioned it. Mitch Marner, final young star left for Dubas to sign. You got Nylander, you got Matthews, now it's Marner. So in a bit of a strange twist, Marner's agent appeared on morning radio, including TSN 1050, clarifying some comments made in the papers it was a bit of a surge of attention placed on Marner so quickly after Matthews had just been signed. But now that we have a clearer picture of how much wiggle room the Leafs will actually have for next season and the years to come, what sort of contract do you feel Mitch Marner is going to be looking at?
3: That's a great question. You know, I wonder if they end up with a bridge deal for Mitch Marner, just mm. because they can't come to an agreement on something that's five or six years or more. The trouble for the Leafs is going to be they're just going to run out of cap space. Right. You know, I I don't know that they can even fit in a Marner contract that's for more than, let's say, ten and a half million dollars. And certainly, they're not going to be able to do that and keep their existing roster in place. You know, I look at pieces like Connor Brown or Nikita Zaitsev that potentially they're going to have to move out to make room for all of these contracts. So the thing I like about a bridge deal for Marner is that you do get the cap hit down to whatever that number is going to be. I don't know if it's going to be seven and a half or eight or what it looks like. Um, and then when the two or the three year bridge deal is up, the Leafs are going to have a lot more cap space. Uh, Marner presumably is going to have had two or three more really good seasons and he's going to be able to command, uh, an even bigger contract. So, that's a compromise that makes sense to me. We'll see if they can get some kind of a deal done in the five or six year range in the next couple of, of months.
1: Though, so. What do you feel with William Nylander? Is it going to be like coming out of the break? Who knows what he's going to be doing, but is the, I guess the size of his contract in deal, is it really only fair to judge it with how he begins next season? Cause James, to me, correct me if, if you disagree, that's, that's fine. But like, I feel Nylander's the guy that you could probably replace the easiest as far as a relatively one-dimensional type of score and to to tie up all that cap space with him as well. I don't know. Like, I'd rather be spending it on Marner. I think that they
3: can keep all of them. The question is, what is the rest of the roster going to look like? Like, Can can they upgrade the blue line? You know, they're going to lose probably lose Jake Gardner here. Mm -hmm. I know there's talk that potentially they're going to try and keep him, but... um, the decision isn't so much lose a Marner or lose a Matthews in 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 in, in favor of Nealander. It's do you lose Jake Gardner in favor of Nealander, okay. or do you lose you know Connor Brown or Zaitsev or you know it's going to be some of these other pieces further down the roster that are that are going to be casualties. So I think that Kyle Dubas I know I know that Kyle Dubis likes William Nealander. I know that he wants him to be part of the future. I think they're going to give him another season, a full season, and see what he can do. Um, You know, Kyle Duba said that he didn't plan on trading Nealander ever, mm. uh, which boxes himself in a little bit. Um, But I just think that we're starting to see the real William Nealander show up here the last five or six games. If he can do that the rest of the way, the way this season and into the playoffs, I think people will stop talking about that contract as potentially yeah. being an overpay and start to really see the value that he brings.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. It's just the frustrating getting going, right? So, in conversation with James Myrtle on Twitter at Myrtle, let's go trade deadline. Leafs getting Jake Muzzin ahead of time. Do you feel Kyle Dubas is going to be active, adding any big names, or are we thinking more tweaking here? What are you What are you feeling?
3: I think it's going to be really hard for them to add a big name, and part of it it just comes back to the cap considerations that we were talking about. They don't have a lot of space going into the deadline, so. You know, if they're going to add any kind of a contract that's more than two or three million dollars, they're going to have to subtract from the roster, and that's where things are going to get really tricky. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they make more of a depth addition because they do have the cap space to make something like that happens, uh, especially if if the other team retains some of the salary that's involved. So, you know, that uh, that potentially makes sense for the Leafs if they can get you know, another defenseman or maybe a third or a fourth line winger, just to give them a little bit more depth. I'm sure that they're going to be kicking kicking tires on things like that.
1: Do you feel they're in the market for a rental type, let's say on the blue line? Like, and I don't even know the names right now, but if somebody's available on, they're going to be a free agent, and the idea is bring them in and make a run, is that possible? Or do you still think that's they're more team build overall?
3: You know what? There's just not a lot available. You look around the league at who's available in terms of a rental defenseman and there's, there's not much there. Right. So, and I know that Kyle Dubas has talked about how he doesn't really like rentals. He likes getting pl- players that have some term on their mm-hmm. contract. That's what Jake Muzzin was. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I just, I look at the rental market and I just don't see a lot of value there for the Leafs.
1: How do you like Muzzin so far? The first, uh, the first game in front of the home fans was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, the the almost he, Gordie Howe hat trick, right? The the massive hit, the goal, a couple of assists.
3: He's a good player. Yeah, he's a good player. You know, and I think that you know he went overlooked a little bit in L.A. Uh, playing behind Drew Doughty, but he's just very, very steady. He's not the greatest skater in the world, but he's smart. He makes really good plays with the puck. Um, He's fearless. He's a big guy. He's 6'3", you know, close to 220 pounds. He can shoot the puck. I've been really impressed, too, with his personality in the dressing room. He's just a very, very easy going happy guy he's always making jokes and the other players on the team seem to have really gravitated towards him really fast and he's made friends really quickly in terms of he's only been around the team for you know 10 days at this point or whatever and you can just tell in the dressing room that that he's going to be uh someone who fits in very well and it wouldn't surprise me if they look at re-signing him when he's eligible for an extension so he's got the one year left in his deal so but on july one they could think about extending him and they're going to have more cap space after next season, so that's going to be something they would be able to accommodate.
1: With that addition, is that then fall into, uh, as far as the trade deadline tinkering, more of, okay, now we're just looking maybe for some depth on the back end, the the, the last pairing, that type of thing, because you got Muzzin and he's looking good? Yeah. Yeah, Muzzin's the big move. Yeah. Muzzin yeah, was yeah, the yeah. big move.
3: You know, and unfortunately for us in the media, I mean, it kind of takes some of the window of ourselves talking about the trade deadline because they made their big move so far in advance right. of it. But that that was going to be the big bet. And, it, you know, it addressed the biggest need that they had, which sure. was the defenseman to play 20-plus minutes and potentially play on the top pair. And, I, you know, so far he's fit in very, very well. And so far we haven't really noticed that the The left shot, the fact that he's a left shot, and and Morgan Riley's had to play on the right side, we haven't noticed that being a real detriment to the Leafs, so, you know, you address your biggest need, it fits under the cap, Um, if you're not interested in, in acquiring a rental player, you know, I don't think that there's going to be a lot that's going to be very sexy that they're going to be able to accomplish before the deadline.
1: Good stuff, James, always appreciate the insight, man, let's do it again soon.
3: Okay, thanks Andy.
1: There he is, James Myrtle, editor-in-chief of The Athletic Toronto on Twitter, at Myrtle. We will step aside and come back to wrap up the show with some fantasy talk. NHL.com's Pete Jensen stepping in. We'll talk fantasy after the break on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get
3: the meaning behind the numbers
0: and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN
1: 1050, the voice of hockey. Back to wrap up another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. If you missed any of this show or past episodes, don't worry. Just subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can get us there. Also on the TSN 1050.ca show page. And we'll tweet it out from at TSN Analytics and at AndyMC81 on Twitter. Fantasy hockey time. Now, our usual guy, James Harding, he is on vacation from NHL.com. So we got Pete Jensen, who is a gem from NHL.com as well. Let's bring in and, and get our fantasy hockey fix, Pete Jensen. Pete, thanks for coming on. First of all, let's let's talk about this right off the bat. You got a new podcast out. Can you tell us about it and where people can find it?
4: Yeah, definitely, Andy. Thanks so much for having me on. And you can find NHL Fantasy on Ice uh, twice a week on NHL.com slash podcast. You can find it on Stitcher, Audio Boom iTunes, Google Podcasts, you name it, wherever you get your podcast, check it out. It's myself and Rob Reese twice a week. Actually, this week, three times a week. Oh. So we're uh, up in the ante a little bit, but it's been a lot of fun. We cover DFS and season long uh, for fantasy hockey. And of course, even if you don't play fantasy, it's a great uh, listen to get caught up on teams and players around the league.
1: Absolutely love it. Make sure you check that out, folks. And by the way, Pete joins us on the Domino's Pizza Delivery Line. Go grab yourself a large four-topping pizza for just twelve ninety nine. all the delicious side dishes. Check it out at Domino's.ca. That's dominoes.ca. Well, Pete, as you know, on TSN Hockey Analytics, we go with a stock up, stock down for fantasy players heading into the weekend. Let's talk about your two stock ups. You begin with a Chicago Blackhawk.
4: Eric Gustafson, what a season this guy's putting together. He has surpassed, not only surpassed Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook, those household names uh, that won all the Stanley Cups with the Blackhawks, but this guy has 27 points over his past 30 games. He's playing on the top pair. He's playing on the first power play unit. He's averaging 22-plus minutes over the span, and any exposure, especially on the power play to Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, needs to be taken advantage of. This guy is only 26 years old. He's not even 50% owned in Yahoo League, so I think everybody should get to know this guy's name. Eric Gustafson, he's on a tear right now. He's a top 30 fantasy defenseman, uh, and yeah, I just think he's... a really a name that not many people realize how good he's been over the past couple of months
1: of the season and then after that carter hart for your other stock up
4: yeah carter hart seven zero and 0 big part of the flyers eight game winning yeah. streak entering thursday and uh yeah 925 save percentage on the season 934 during this winning streak and it's really significant because he's not even 21 years old and he is the only the fourth goalie in NHL history uh, to put together a seven-game winning streak before turning 21. This guy's here to stay in all fantasy formats. Adam, if you haven't already, if you're in a shallow league, but this is a guy that you're going to want to hold on to in keeper formats. One of the five or ten best options in the entire league from a goaltending standpoint for keeper formats.
1: Love it. So, Pete, that's the stock up. Who are a couple guys stock down that we should be maybe avoiding heading into the next few games.
4: Yeah, it's unfortunate, but John Gibson's fantasy stock mm. has plummeted. It's a lot uh, due to the struggles of his team, and they haven't really had his back. It's crazy to think that at the midseason point, this guy was a top-tier Vezina Trophy candidate. Yeah. Now he's not even a top-15 fantasy goalie for the rest of the season in our rankings, 2-9-4, eight ninety save percentage in the past 16 games. And, yeah, just the Ducks in general, I mean, their stock is way down from Getzlaff to Raquel to John Gibson. And then another guy I'm looking at, and I'm a little disappointed with, uh, Charlie McAvoy. Only one point in 10 games since returning from an injury. He's had multiple injuries, though, this season. So maybe buy low on a guy like this, especially as his stock tumbles a little bit. He's only averaging barely over a shot on goal per game this year, but he is playing Huge minutes. He played almost 25 minutes in the game this week against the Rangers, averaging 21 and a half minutes per game on the season. So, but again, the injuries are to blame largely for McAvoy's uh, struggles this season for the young kid. He's only played in Boston's half of the games, you know, so far this year.
1: Stock up, stock down, brought to you by three Brewers microbrewery restaurants, locations across the GTA, great food, great beer, great times, make sure you get out and whether for a fancy meal or just, hey, go watch the game at three Brewers, in conversation with Pete Jensen, senior fantasy hockey editor at NHL.com, on Twitter at NHL Jensen, so Pete, a lot of buzz in the Toronto market, of course, about Jake Muzzin coming to the Leafs, and he's looked real good so far, but... When there's a move, there are fantasy implications, not necessarily just for the player coming in, but also to those around him. So I wanted to get your take on what you think the fantasy value of Jake Muzzin as a Maple Leaf is and how that might impact somebody like a Morgan Riley.
4: Yeah, after that three-point game earlier in the week against the Ducks, I mean, he moved past Drew Gowdy, his former teammate, in the rankings. So I think that speaks very highly as to how high we value Jake Muzzin, from a fantasy standpoint, the rest of the way, top 20 player at the position, top 20, top 25. Uh, he's playing on the second power play unit. Has even seen some power play shifts with Matthews, Taveras, Nylander, some of those guys. They're working out the kinks. They're putting together a lethal offensive lineup for the postseason. But this guy covers categories. He's over his first four games alone. He's got eight shots, six hits, five blocks. So no matter what kind of fantasy format you play, DFS or season long rotisserie. Muzzin is an absolute must own player. And yeah, for his defense pair, Morgan Riley, he was already a top five fantasy defenseman. So this just gives him so much more staying power for the rest of the season and gives him the best, most responsible defenseman he's ever been paired with. So yeah. it just makes you, it makes you value Morgan Riley that much more, not only for the rest of this season, but for next year as well, because Muzzin still has another year left on his
1: contract. That's right. I love it. He's uh he, he really captured the attention of Maple Leaf fans with that big hit and then the point. So that's that's always a plus. Uh, no doubt. <laughs> uh Pete, now with all the trades going on around the NHL leading up to the deadline, how about in fantasy? A higher-profile player that you might look to trade off your roster because in your league sometimes, hey, you know what, name value still carries some cachet. But is there a guy maybe with that bigger name that you think, you know what, I can, I can maybe trade him and get a decent return back because I, I don't foresee him doing as well for the rest of the year?
4: I'm really worried about Nathan McKinnon right now because for a number of reasons, there seems like there's a disconnect to him, between him and Coach Jared Bednar. You know, he's played on a line recently with Colin Wilson and Alexander Kerfoot, which is nowhere near the caliber of Nico Rantanen and Landeskog, but that team is on a tailspin right now, Mm -hmm. almost as bad as the Anaheim Ducks in terms of their past couple of months of the season. Defensively, that team is a liability. I just, and if that team doesn't make a coaching change or doesn't make a trade, I don't really love McKinnon's fantasy value among the elite players as much as I loved it earlier in the season when it looked like he peaked. Uh, and, of course, Rantanen has been unbelievable as well, both of them among the top six scorers in the NHL. So if in fantasy, if you could trade McKinnon, who's at a very valuable position but a very stocked stocked position at center you could maybe get an elite goalie and an elite defenseman so you could really uh, cash in on mckinnon's uh, amazing start to the season as that team begins to tumble Uh, he's got no point no goals over his past four games minus six and then you know on the flip side a guy i would trade for i really like patrick linea's bounce back capability for the rest of the season Justin Bufflin's coming back this week. Nikolai Ehlers eventually coming back as well, and Ehlers might be put on Line a's line. Those guys have played together for a couple of years now. So yeah, Patrick Line a, only five points in his past 20 games, two goals on his past 57 shots. This is one of the most lethal goal scorers in the league. I think if you buy low on Line a now, even with this even strength struggles that he that he's had in recent weeks and months, I think that Patrick Line a, in one week of the fantasy playoffs could reward you for your patience this is a guy that could drop six seven goals in a three-game span at any given moment
1: oh yeah if he gets hot it could be over uh pete thank you so much for taking the time great insight and tell people again the new podcast and where they can find it
4: yeah thanks so much uh check us out on nhl.com slash fantasy and again the podcast is nhl fantasy on ice with myself and rob reese Uh, we got some great guests coming on We have, uh, you know, break down the DFS slates for the nights ahead and uh, pretty much everything in between, all the trends you need to keep track of as a fantasy owner and an NHL fan. So appreciate anybody who tunes in.
1: Absolutely. A must listen, I'm sure. Pete, thank you so much.
4: Thanks again, Andy. Have a great weekend.
1: There he goes. Pete Jensen from NHL.com, fantasy hockey, editor, writer extraordinaire. That'll do it for another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics for producer Sean Lavery. I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening on TSN 1050 Toronto.